Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com and I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me is Benno and Benno it's it's been a, a long while since we last spoke, lots has happened but how's things for you mate? Yeah good thanks, um, it's been a long time, uh, you held down the fort well, uh, we had a <laughs> fun couple of shows uh, in the meantime, uh, it's been a I don't know, it's been a long lockdown. I'm starting to venture out a little more, starting to get a little bit more brave. Um, met a couple of family members out for, for meals, been for a couple of pints, that type of thing. Um, I think the British catchphrase like right now is socially distance, of course, which is kind of <laughs> what I've been trying to do. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're obviously not Florida, but we're still not, uh, still not in great shape as a country, but we're in better shape than, than a lot of other places. And, specifically Liverpool where I live you know I think I last checked there was what 30 to 50 overall cases of uh of COVID-19 so as long as you don't bump into any of those people you're probably all right but I think it's been good it's been a hard I think six months for everyone I think it's good for you know from a mental health point of view and just from a life quality point of view to be in the position where you can start uh doing a few more things and uh and seeing a few more people uh I don't know if you've been in the same boat yeah, I think, um, well, I think as far as the government guidelines go, I think everyone's a bit confused now. So they're kind of like, oh, well, if it's open, I'll go to it. I mean, um, me and my wife have been out to a couple of things. I went to a drive-in cinema the other week to watch uh, Knives Out. Good film, I'd recommend it. And then uh, we basically just bought a gazebo, put it up in the garden, and then we've just been having people around that we haven't seen in ages. Um, socially distanced, of course, in the garden. I think, yeah, <laughs> it's like you say, that's the uh, buzzword, isn't it? That and, and the new normal seems to be going around at my work quite a bit. So, uh, yeah, and, um, well, um, I mean, speaking of my work, I had my uh, my first um, observation in surgery at work the other day, and I learned I'm not very squeamish, so... Um, <laughs> I mean, especially when you've seen someone's sternum getting uh, sawed open. But yeah, that was certainly an eye-opening experience for me. So uh, yeah, but other than that, um, just uh, just pretty regular, going to work all the time as as normal, mm-hmm. and then just um, like you say, slowly trying to um, get back into um, yeah. the habit of sort of like meeting up with people and things. Yeah, did I tell you I went for a? Uh, I tried. I went I, again. Mental health's a big thing right now. I went for a, a float session the uh, the other the other day. Oh, I've seen know. you post about that on Instagram. <laughs> I had no idea what it was. Yeah, that's what. So while you've been like looking at body parts and stuff, um, and find out you know squeamish air, it's one of those things like Joe Rogan always mentions on, on his podcast. You know, the isolation tank type of thing. Um, and I've always wanted to try it, and I thought, you know what, they've opened up again. I'll give it a go. Was it wasn't cheap forty quid to go, Martin? So mm. you know, it's uh, it's only something. It's something that I think you know the likes of Joe Rogan can afford, and yeah, your favourite footballers and uh, and stuff like that. But like as a, as a civilian, I don't think I'll do it that often. But it was really good, you know. It was really like I really enjoyed it. You kind of go in, and there's it's basically this big pod that's like the size of a small car. Um, and you get in and it's, if anyone's you know never heard of it, basically the water is like filled with, with salt. Apparently it's denser than the Dead Sea, the amount of salt that's in there. Mm. So when you get into the tank, you just float like with no effort whatsoever. And they also heat the water to body temperature. So you kind of, you get in, it's, it's, a, it's an hour. You get in, you've got earplugs in, you shut the lid down so you can't hear anything, you can't see anything. And because the water's body temperature and you're floating, you can't really feel the water either. So you kind of just, I describe it as like, you feel like you're a head float, floating in a jar um, and you're in there for like an hour and it's like, 
you know, an hour of you know, medica- meditation or an hour of some people just fall asleep. Um, I kind of just chilled out and I'd like, yeah, I feel, I feel refreshed this week. Like I feel great. It was, um, it's a very hippie thing to do. Like when I got, when I got out, my legs were like complete jelly trying mm-hmm. to get back into the real world. They don't rush you out the place. Went into the back room, had a little, they have like a, a restroom where you have a, a bit of a cup of tea and a chill out before you go back and join the real world. And like the people, the, the people who work there were asking me if I enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was really good. I sounded like I was high. Yeah. Like that's how, like, <laughs> how, many, how out long has this baby. been open for then? It's not like these, remember when um, all these things sprung up in malls where you put your legs in and leeches like took a, was it leeches? <laughs> took all the uh, dead skin off of your legs and everyone tried it for the first month and then no one went back. So they all closed down immediately. Yeah. That's a bit, that's a bit more old school, isn't it? But yeah, I think this, this one's opened up in a couple of years. Like if you listen to Rogan on his podcast, he's always saying, Oh, you know, you get your own man. You should, you should buy one. It's, it's, well worth the investment it's like yeah no one who listens to your podcast joke can afford to have their own at home yeah. um so i think it's quite a relatively new thing than well, there um, so what, what does it do for you sort of like you know is it more of a spiritual thing rather than sort of like a medical sort of thing then yeah i, th- I think people will say things like oh salt's good for your skin and thing it's not mm. it's, it's not really that it's more just yeah you know it, you completely shut off for the world for one thing, you haven't got your phone around, so I can't be scrolling along Twitter yeah, or thing, getting, into, getting into stupid arguments or whatever just for an hour. <laughs> you're, you're, you're separated from the entire world. And yeah, I think it's just good to just kind of clear the mind. I think different people have different experiences in there. But yeah, I had a great time doing that. So that's, uh, okay, that's something we'll you have uh, hanging around with Buddy Harrelson next week then. I'm sure didn't he open a, <laughs> an air bar in um, LA a few years back where it was just um, where you... Um, I think you went in and just bought oxygen and inhaled it. I think that was uh, one of Woody Harrelson's uh, many, many ventures in his, uh, in his <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> What's the next step in my spiritual journey? Then hang around with Woody Harrelson and uh, inhaling oxygen. Sounds good. <laughs> no, it certainly sounds... Um, I'd definitely be interested in trying it. It certainly sounds uh, like something very interesting. And, and like you say, uh, you know, a break from the world and um, your phone is something that I think a lot of people need these days, don't they? So, uh, yeah, something mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll look out for. But... Um, and before we get into the main bulk of the show, we've got some uh, got some sad news start off the pod. Um, sadly, James is going to be stepping away from the show and uh, podcasting as a whole. Um, I don't think we really need to get into the reasons why. It's just it's obviously been a really tough time for wrestling these past few months. Um, but I just wanted to say that it was a huge honour to podcast with him for the year and a bit that he was on the show. I mean, he added so much, didn't he? Um, the ideas, the great, great analysis that he had. And I think one of the best decisions we ever made was of any money. You're really going to miss him, aren't we, Benno? Yeah, definitely echo that. I would completely agree. It's the best decision we made. Like I've known Jamesy a long time, as you know, I re I retweeted the uh, the Ring of Honor podcast we did, um, the Unified in the in the UK, which is apparently fourteen years ago. Wow. Uh, shows how old we were. But that that's pretty much that trips when uh, when I first got to got to meet uh, old Jamesy. Um, and obviously me and him, we didn't really speak a huge amount over the years. It was kind of when we both reappeared on Twitter. And I think he sent me a message like, oh, you you, you that Benno? Are you the Benno who did that bus trip? Uh, and we kind of reconnected a few years ago and I met up at, uh, in Germany as well for WXW trips and stuff. And yeah, um, 
it was kind of just one of those things, wasn't it? We were looking for a guest one week and I think we were looking for someone who could cover OTT and I think I suggested Jamesy and we went for it. And I think we did that one show with him, didn't we? And you were just like, we need to, we need to get Jamesy on full time. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how, that's how good Jamesy was. Not even British as well on the British wrestling experience. Um, but yeah, the second to none as far as uh, analysis and stuff like that goes. But, you know, the podcast stuff is, is obviously not the most important. The real life is, is far more important. And yeah, I think uh, especially in, in these times, completely, completely understand his decision and you know talking like he's dead here i mean it's you know i think we talked to, we talked to him literally today in our group chat you know we're all still uh in good contact with jamesy and obviously he needs to take a bit of time from the, the public eye for uh, for himself um which i think is uh is very important but yeah he'll be he'll be hugely missed from the show but i think as you'll probably say you know there's always a, an open door there too um so yeah uh, obviously we uh, we wish him the best yeah um yeah, because obviously we are still in regular contact with him and he is doing a lot better now. But uh, yeah, obviously, like you just said, then he's welcome on the show whenever he wants open mic, whenever he wants to come back. But I mean, Benno, what is it with us and co-hosts? I mean, first uh, <laughs> Ollie Court and now James, we can't seem to uh, keep anyone down for too long, can we? Except for me, mate. I wasn't even on the first show. I just <laughs> the second show. I was like, <laughs> and I just haven't left. I don't think I was ever formally announced as a host. I've just been here for long enough that I'm I'm part of the show. But yeah, we seem to uh, chase these people off. You know, Will Will was on the show for a little while, oh, disappeared yeah, yeah. to go off to do the torch as well. Um, oh well, you know, well, we won't take it personally, mate. But I think, as we said off air though, as well, it's going to be a good opportunity, isn't it? To maybe you know have some fresh voices and stuff obviously with this being the first show back i think we wanted to do it you know me and you but you know going forward hopefully we can have some uh some interesting guests as well and make a, a bit of a positive out of it too yeah because we are going to be continuing the show but there will be some changes and scheduling changes but um <laughs> we'll go more into those on the next show uh, which will be up in a fortnight because there's lots of news from this past month or so to get in. Um, also on the show today, uh, wrestling historian John Lister is going to be joining us a, a bit later to talk the life and career of Mark Rocco, who sadly passed away in July. Um, but first news story, it finally happened, Benno, after, uh, after years and years of speculation and reports, progress, ICW and WXW have finally been added to the network. Uh, WWE made the announcement that they'd be adding WXW Ambition 11, Progress Chapter 92, and ICW Shug's House Party 5 Night 2 would be added to their streaming service, as well as um, two Revolve compilations, uh, the first being the best of Drew McIntyre and the other being the best of Keith Lee. And um, I mean, Benno, it does seem like it's been a subject on this podcast a number of times. I mean, Euro Indies appearing on the network, along with being a a category on a likely unlikely at the end of every year but it's finally happened did we say likely or did we say unlikely was it a mix i think it was a mix wasn't it yeah because we went sure. definitely a mix of, of, of likely and unlikely i think it was leaning more to the unlikely because we we didn't think it had ever happened yeah i think we've been banned that many times haven't we we're, we're thinking this was coming and now it's kind of came to to no fanfare no. <laughs> two years kind of after the boom period after a huge summer scandal and here we are yeah it uh, doesn't even feel like a big story does it at this point um it's interesting i suppose that the, the, especially the show choice i think that's the interesting element for me that like unbelievably of the shows that have gone in there i've managed to find i was at two of these shows um i was at the random wxw femme fatale show that they've put on the network which is a show that was fine. You know, it's built around a Marley, so maybe that's why. Um, 
but it was from Tag Festival, and it was like, do you know what would be better to put on your network? Tag Festival? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's to do with, you know, who's featured on the shows, you know, music rights maybe, the pessimistic side of me will say it's probably also to do with, you know, the personnel that are on mm. um, certain indie shows, especially when it comes to progress. Like for progress, they've cho- chosen a, a random Manchester show that I was also at in 2019. That if you ask me to tell you anything about Holly Dead versus Lana Austin or Trent Seven versus Paul Robinson or I could probably tell you about Gresham versus Eddie Kingston, but that's because it had a really bad count out finish and killed the room. Um, Walter Ilya was a great main event, but that's not a notable progress show whatsoever. Um, maybe the clue's there, yeah, that, you know, it's Walter Ilya in the main event, isn't it? And that's, yeah. it feels like someone at random at WWE's end has gone, okay, well, what are the shows that feature our guys? Maybe they wanted relatively recent shows for music rights reasons and maybe, maybe video quality reasons as well. Not that, you know, the video quality's hugely improved over the years at some of these companies. Um, but they are also shows where, you know, some of the more problematic people, um, that have either been fired by WWE or there's been big stories uh, aren't necessarily on the sh- on all, on these shows, although there still are a, a couple of uh, controversial names. You know, Jordan Devlin not being the least of them on mm. on the Progress show. Um, but yeah, that's the only reason I can think of it, other than the fact that yeah, maybe you know with that ICW show, they're just big Jeff Jarrett fans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had to get in there, didn't he, old Jeff? You can imagine him walking backstage while they were like talking about which shows to put on. He was like, "Oh, ICW, I've appeared for them once. Can't remember which show, but bang that one on. That'll do a number." Yeah, there you go, and that's and he's literally front and center, isn't he? In like the yeah. the graphics, like I didn't expect. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett to be in the graphics. I think um, Lana Austin's the graphic for progress. Mm. Uh, kind of didn't expect it to to go in that direction. You know, Daniel Macabre, you know, a guest on this podcast is uh, is on the WXW Ambition show that's gone uh, on the network. And again, it's not even a German Ambition show. It's one of those. I mean, our Canadian listeners will probably, you know be quite impressed it's the it's the show from canada and you know he's uh him and a, a couple of other canadians are on there too um but yeah it's, it's odd to say the least um and this should be a huge story um or at least it would have been two years ago wouldn't it and it's just you know really i think we all expected this story to be accompanied by the idea that WWE were going to have a new tier on the network and this was all going to, you know, the back catalogs of these companies was going to be forming part of, of this new network tier. And obviously, if you listen to John and Way and the uh, and the conference calls from WWE, that is not the plan anymore. They want to sell the network wholesale. So instead, it's kind of just like, oh, well, we'll just throw a couple of shows on and we've got a couple of evolved best ofs and we've got these nondescript shows that I can't see watching. I don't know about you. No, it's like, I think you know it there, they are really odd show choices, all pretty recent as well, and certainly not what we do call any of these promotions glory days, would you? Because for me, it'll be interesting whether we do get full catalogs put up now, or maybe some compilations, I mean, some of the bigger ICW, Hydro, and SEC Arena shows might get added, I mean, that Grado's big title win over Drew, but maybe they don't want you, you seeing Drew losing to Grado, I don't know, um... I mean, in terms of Progress's biggest storyline, the Will Ospreay and Jimmy Havoc feud, I mean, sure, Ospreay's a big name from New Japan now, but surely regular WWE fans will just see Havoc as some dude who just got fired from AEW, won't they? Yeah, and again, there's the, the, the controversy surrounding both of them right now, which is another reason you might not want to do that. It's probably not worth the work. If you're WWE, do you... 
is it worth the work going through the progress back catalogue and cutting out the music? And, you know, there was there was even that point where they had different stop music than they have now. You know, can they even put those shows on? Does it become like ECW with a lot of dubbing needing doing or you just cut the entrances out or you cut out the people that might give you bad headlines? Not that WWE are always particularly bothered about that, yeah. I suppose. I suppose the answer to that question is that Chris Benoit was on the network, so I suppose anything goes at that point. Um, but is it worth the work? I don't know if they're going to bother. I think I think if we were getting this extra network tier and they were wanting to charge more money for it and they thought they'd get more subs out of it, I think that would probably happen. But at this stage, I think we're just going to get drips and drabs of, oh, yeah, we're doing a... You know, there's a week on the network where you know we're, we're celebrating Matt Riddle. Let's say Matt Riddle wins a big belt. Let's throw a load of Matt Riddle matches mm-hmm. on from these different companies. I think they're going to use the libraries in that way, use them for you know the documentaries and and things like that. I, I, I think the as far as back catalog goes, I think that's going to still be where there's a a reason for the likes of demand progress and WXW's uh, own uh, on demand services to exist. Yeah, it just it made me question who it was for. So anyone who's invested in this stuff's already seen it and already subscribed to them uh, VOD services you just mentioned. And I mean, it makes the question: Will it attract new fans or bring some new subscribers to the network? I can't really see it myself. I mean, the best thing for this footage is sort of like you would assume packages for NXT UK. I mean, there's a lot of Daniel Bryan and Alistair Black stuff from WXW and Progress uh, with Alistair Black they could use for for that. Mm. You can see why they do want these catalogs, but just adding like random shows just seems just seems odd. And like you say, it just sort of like didn't seem like a big news uh, story to anyone sort of like outside our bubble. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do because obviously they can use um, you know the clips for packages and documentaries where you would have thought they could have used that without uploading the shows onto the network yeah maybe this is just an an extra thing but you've kind of maybe think there as well man like what's the from the company's point of view like i suppose the benefit is you know that they get to say they're on the wwe network and they get to say you know that I'm, i'm you know they've all been it seems paid relatively well for mm. for this wwe relationship but really, like a, like you say, are they going to attract new fans out of this? You might get one or two, um, but not not in this way. I mean, maybe if we – and again, we're in the middle of a pandemic, aren't we? Maybe – or at the tail – hopefully at the tail end of one. You know, maybe it, when shows start running again, like they did with that Evolve uh, pay-per-view, they ran head-to-head with AEW. If you start getting, say, live progress shows on here, live ICW shows mm. on here and get a little bit of buzz around it, that might create new fans for the, these companies. That might be something. It's a bit like, you know, we all turned our nose up at WWE UK, didn't we? But let's all be honest, like a big part of the boom period in this country is, you know, that that WWE UK product, as much as we all, let's say, hated it, um, it made stars, didn't it? Out of Pete Dunne, Trent Seven, mm. uh, Tyler Bays, people, it made them draws, uh, or at least bigger draws across the country. Maybe the hoping, uh, maybe something like that could happen um if we get to that point but if it is just a case of back catalog stuff that's used yeah like you said for documentaries and used for drips and drabs of old rando shows i think you might you might attract a handful of new fans who are who are curious but with so much WWE to watch as it is never mind on the network but on tv as well 
how many of those people are, are really out there. Um, yeah, I think this kind of might be it really as far as uh, benefits that uh, that could come out of this for the individual companies. Yeah, because they're still keeping ahead with NXT UK, aren't you? And sort of like with our government testing out the waters in terms of like live shows and things like that, um, you've got to assume that WWE were keeping abreast of that and maybe thinking about sort of firing up NXT UK again before the end of the year. Because... Um, I mean, it was Walter's birthday today. Remember him? 33 years young as of recording this show. I mean, um, as he, I was trying to wrap my brain because um, so much has happened this year already. Does he even have many matches this year? I think so. <laughs> I think we reviewed a couple of them, didn't we? Wasn't he on like NXT UK stuff that we watched? Um, oh, yeah, that takeover right at the start of the year. God, feels like it, last yeah. year at this moment in time. It does, yeah, it does. Yeah. Remember Walter? Remember when he was a thing? Yeah. <laughs> Again, to be fair, we've been in a pandemic, I suppose. Yeah. So we'll, we'll give him that. And um, moving away from that, and um, obviously the speaking out movement is still very much in everyone's minds, as it should be, as uh, lockdown restrictions are starting to ease over in the UK, training schools starting to reopen and promotions starting to look at running shows again. And, and we've had a few updates, uh, good and bad, from a variety of uh, places in the uk and uh, we'll start off with progress because um they released quite a comprehensive statement on their website detailing a uh, documentation that staff and talent will have to sign off on moving forward and uh, they laid out a quite a large manifesto including things such as a uh, valid dbs checks for all uk talent mental health counseling available paramedics on site shows safe talent uh, travel arrangements for talent selling talent merch if they were asked to buy talent and only having accredited people backstage. Uh, they've also got uh, policies for safeguarding, whistleblowing and uh, safeguarding policies for the audience and uh, a code of conduct for talent referees and crew. And um, statement also said that John Briley would be the sole owner of Progress and company operations overseen by James Amner with Lucy Cave overseeing safeguarding and digital communications. Uh, subsequent to that, we've seen on Twitter that Lucy has taken a full-time role with the company. And um, the statement also said that Vicky Haskins will no longer be a part of uh, of the company as a, as was originally announced. And um, I mean, Benno, we were asking for changes. And um, while this is all world, words on paper until shows start running again, it's a, it seems to be a large step in the right direction from uh, Progress, who are arguably the biggest company in the UK. This is, I mean, this is the easy stuff to do, isn't it? I don't want to like do it down because it is because it's yeah, good yeah. they've done, it. and there's a lot of a lot of this is minimum standards, isn't it? A lot of this is yeah, of course you should have a a paramedic at shows, of course you should have these safeguarding policies, um, of course you should dot your eyes and cross your t's on this stuff. But you know, it's the it's <laughs> there's going to be other promotions we talk about in a bit that for some reason haven't done this. But yeah, it's 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 an absolute minimum standard, really. I'm I don't want to get overexcited about it. I think people did get overexcited about it because, to be blunt, you know, <laughs> Lucy is somebody who's popular on Twitter, um, and there was you know a lot of a lot of positive positive when this news came out, a lot of positive response to it, um, and that she'd done a good job, and she had done a good job. But I'm sure she'd say it, and I'm sure we all should, you know, keep an eye on this. That like the proof's going to be in the pudding, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I want to see, I want to see action. I want to see what's happened with the individual cases of progress wrestlers who've been, you know, named in speaking out. I want to know 
what's going to happen with their WWE relationship with regards some of those people who cross over to both sides. Um, yeah, the proof's going to be in the pudding, really. Um, again, it's a it's a good start. Absolutely right in saying that. Um, but I would like, I mean, hopefully, I know Lucy said she's going to be open to doing interviews and stuff. I, I would just like to hear a little bit more vocally from Progress on what exactly they're doing about uh, individual cases, what exactly they're going to be doing going forward, um, what exactly you know their mindset is um, on running shows going forward. Uh, I think that I would like to know because, you know, it's it's all well and good. Glenn Joseph disappearing into the night. It's all well and good. You know, uh, Jim Smallman's not, not related to progress anymore, but obviously he hasn't had much to say on this. John Brawley's got medical issues. So understandable that, you know, he's kind of, um, you know, when he speaks sometimes, he, it does cause more issues than it solves. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, they've had their own controversies with, we do that with Michael Oku, not a, from my point of view, not a huge controversy, something where I think they dealt with it the right way. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think this is the start. I'm not doing somersaults though. Um, I want to see what happens next. We've seen with ICW, you know, you can just throw a statement out and it doesn't matter what you, mm. whether you're actually uh, practical. Um, I want to see what happens practical, what happens next. I think that's going to be the real test. And But, you know, on a positive point of view, promotion should take this as this is this is your basic stuff these these policies and procedures the progress of pour out publicly i'm not even bothered if you just steal them you know yeah. <laughs> or speak to progress and, and work with progress and and work together and have a have a have similar policies and procedures for yourself um hopefully you know some of the promotions that aren't doing that yet can can learn some lessons from progress and yeah hopefully you know it is a it's at least a a good start and it you know, just despite my reservations about progress, especially with the with the sheer amount of scandal that did seem to centre around them, coming back at all, um, at least this is a sign that the people who are in charge now are, you know, facing the right direction and uh, at least saying some of the right things um, at this very, very formative stage. Yeah, I think I agree with you. It's just um, sort of like putting your feet in the water, isn't it? And I think, it, you know, it does look like a step in the right direction. But I think um, we should all be cautious about um, sort of like any of this stuff. Because it, it does, it's like you said, it does make you wonder why all this wasn't in place to begin with. And, and you mentioned ICW there, because they've been very quiet when it comes to uh, accusations leveled at their talent and management. Because they released a statement saying that they will have a a code of conduct and dignity and dignity at work policy and uh, a code of conduct for audience members. Um, a welfare officer has been employed separate from the company and, and personal checks will be carried out on all performers and crew. And um, like we know with progress, it's all words on paper until this stuff starts to get implemented. And it certainly seems like ICW are trying to do a make good here, but it, there were a lot of accusations leveled at them. And um, I mean, I mean, they really need to address that, don't they? And then make these changes going forward, don't they? They haven't even, never mind take action. Like, you know, Progress have suspended certain wrestlers. Mm. Progress have taken Michael, Michael Oko out of a management position. Again, much, you know, less serious allegation with him. Um, but, you know, there was controversy there and they took action. Um, Rev Pro we're going to get to it in a minute. 
But like ICW haven't done anything. They haven't even talked about it. Mark Dallas is, you know, he's on Instagram when people are asking about it and saying, he's basically saying, well, if you've got a problem, go to the police. Like it's all well and good saying we've got these policies and procedures going forward. But it's a, there were a slew of stuff. Even if you don't want to take, even if you don't want to talk individual stories and, you know, we should be careful about doing that on a public platform. But even if you want to talk the, the, the overall, there's clearly an issue there with ICW and they just haven't addressed it. Uh, and they're just hoping to carry on, put the minimum, do the minimum work, put these minimum, minimum statements out and kind of look to the future rather than actually address the past. And yeah, I mean, maybe it's, it's the fact it's north of the border, but I feel like ICW are almost getting away with it, aren't they? Like, you're not, you're not really seeing much. Much anger towards ICW, um, especially considering what their position was in in British wrestling with them, having, and again with them having this close relationship with WWE as well. Um, yeah, I know from a lot of like the people I know up north that, that aren't happy about this, but yeah, it's just they're getting away with it, really. Um, yeah, because I mean, and, a lot of, obviously a lot of justified anger was leveled at Fight Club Pro for this sort of like party culture. And if you want to talk about party culture, I mean, ICW sort of like pretty much invented it, didn't they? In terms of like, you know, these after show parties and things like that. I mean, that BBC documentary was all over that. And, and when you saw these other documentaries, you know, and bottles of Jack Daniels and goodness knows what else going around. And it seemed to be, you know, quite prevalent in that company. Yeah, that that as much as anyone, they're kind of responsible in a lot of ways for the the boom period of British wrestling, and they yeah they started a lot of those those things. They're running in nightclub venues, you know them and, and PCW were the early companies to be regularly doing that over here, and the the combination of like you said after parties and that blaring of lines, and yeah again the sheer amount of their their wrestlers or former wrestlers who were named in speaking out um yeah they've got i feel like icw have a, a broad amount of responsibility here and it doesn't feel like they're, they're taking any of that responsibility it just i think obviously as as fans it just seems um like a really confusing time at the moment doesn't it because it just seems like every promotion is just gonna do what they're gonna do and it it just seems like it's a bit all over the shop doesn't it i mean um you know, there are going to be people who wait for this to blow over and start to creep back in, having not addressed any of the issues or allegations whatsoever. I mean, no one's expecting us to have all the answers, are they? But what do you think would work in terms of you? Do we need a wrestling governing body or do we need some kind of like... I don't know, because even, even when you look at governing bodies in other sports, I mean, it didn't do much good for US gymnastics, did it? So what's to say that, that you know, a wrestling one won't be open to corruption and and who would run it? It just seems like promotions are being left to sort of like sort this out for themselves and it'd be quite easy for a lot of them to just not bother doing anything does feel like it's starting to happen already um and it's extremely gutting and disappointing um especially for the people who are brave enough to speak out and for you know what a lot of um people went through through the summer at the height of all of this but yeah i think you know, we that would be the ideal, wouldn't it? Like a some kind of British governing body, and I know you know the parliamentary group have have made noise about you know maybe that's something we could look forward in the future. And equity have also you know asked promotions, and we're going to talk about that. You know, to make pledges uh, to again very minimum 
standards uh, as to practice goes. Is this where we start? But... Because none of these practices are in place. You've got to start at the brass base. Yeah, I've got to start somewhere. Yeah, you have, you have. And every uh, solution is going to have it's going to have teething issues, isn't it? It's going to have, you know, like that trust debacle, you know, a couple of months ago. And yeah, it feels like a couple of months ago. It's probably only about a month ago now. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that that obviously wasn't particularly well put together. But you, you, you might have to allow people to make mistakes. And for things, you know, even if you're pessimistic about groups like that starting up, you know, if there are well-meaning people behind them, maybe to give them a chance. Um, not that really trust gave us reason to trust, but yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to expect maybe small steps first, and you're gonna have to expect people to fall on their face, and you're gonna have to expect issues. It's not gonna be as straightforward as yeah, snapping our fingers and there being a a national governing body, unfortunately. And the the big thing really is, you know, equity can get all of the the online quote-unquote promotions to sign up and all the cool promotions the, the if they are even cool promotions anymore but the the very online promotions that we follow or we talk about on here to, to sign up or you know your your local bristol pro wrestling or i don't know why i pricked on bristol um <laughs> wigan championship wrestling let's say that or whatever some random company that does a show three months once every three months in league we've seen it you know there's examples of mm-hmm. of uh, trainers who've had allegations against them already looking to start put together running shows now <sighs> are they gonna listen like what's gonna stop someone going to their local leisure center and saying, listen, I'm putting on a wrestling show is 150 quid or whatever a leisure center costs to book these days. I'll go buy a ring for 500 quid. I'll rent a ring for 500 quid and then I'll get my mates to work the show. Um, that's going to happen regardless, I think. Um, so it's it's such a wild west British wrestling that no solution is going to be perfect. Um, like I say, there are some mini positives with the parliamentary group and with equity getting involved and with individual promotions like progress putting their policies out there um but yeah as far as a collective solution nothing seems to be on the horizon does it and that is that is extremely getting more and more involved is certainly a positive step obviously the professional performers union here in the uk and they it's like you said they did release a statement that had a pledge of policy for wrestling companies and training schools and it's certainly good that you know obviously they're a very well-known organization over here but um it comes to that thing again doesn't it? it's on the promotions and schools to follow this and you can't and it just seems to be a bit messy at the moment yeah and equity you know their responsibility is to their members isn't it at the end of the day mm-hmm. you know they can they're obviously they've got good intention but you know they're going to be looking after the wrestlers they're going to be talking about you know wrestler pay and they're going to be talking about having paramedics shows and they're going to be you know talking about safeguarding wrestlers um there's only so much they can do um and they're obviously an organization that does a lot of other things as well um so i don't know i don't know if you've got any any solutions for this one martin but yeah there's no no perfect answer is there no because obviously we all want wrestling to come back but when when it's safe for everybody i mean it's like you know they're the people that have spoken out against you know this years and years of abuse and told their stories i think it's owed to them to make it a safer environment for talent performers and fans um so yeah i don't there is no clear answer but i think sort of like you know just these does seem like these sort of like baby steps but you know if this carries on with people moving in the right direction then hopefully something comes of it because um i mean just leading into possibly the second biggest promotion in england revolution pro wrestling and uh promoter andy quilden got into a bit of a 
war of words on Twitter with people about the company's um, lack of sort of like um, codes of conduct on the website and things like that, and then their um, their allegiances with Will Ospreay, and then obviously Andy Quilden went on the PW Touch uh, podcast with Will Cooling and Rich Fan to talk the future of the company and speaking out and. I mean, obviously, Will and Rich are friends of the show, but uh, this podcast totaling in at over four hours. Um, I think that's going to be in Will's obituary as he did this four-hour podcast <laughs> with uh, Andy Quilden. I mean, it was, it, back to being serious, it was an epic show to get through. I mean, and Quilden did arrest some of the issues around Will Ospreay and Mike Skill. Um, but, I mean, you can see why people were upset. It wasn't the most accessible for people wanting answers, was it really, Benno? No, when he had the best best of intentions and obviously we're biased because will is our friend but you know and you know i've joked with him plenty of times about that thing going four and a half hours uh we try sometimes with spotlight we'll hit the three hour three hour plus mark as well um and when we've had will on this podcast it's got a bit long too but it, you know it i think he'd even he'd say in hindsight obviously and he, he's probably sick of me kicking him while he's down on this one it probably should have been two parts they probably should have found a way to make it more accessible to people that is you know, that's a fault of that podcast. And I did see some blame. I think Andy Quilden deserves a lot of blame and he deserves a lot of criticism for um, the way he's handled some of this. But that's a, that's a place where I kind of saw that level to him, like he'd done a four and a half hour filibuster. And I don't really think that's what it was. I think he put himself out there um, and allowed himself to be asked these questions. Um, and, you know, the, it, it, the show was as long as it was. And, you know, as podcasters, we know that can happen. Um, and you either edit it down or you, or you splice it up. I don't think that falls on him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's been a little while since the interview now, hasn't it? And mm. there was there was a lot of kickoff at the time. Uh, people weren't happy about it. The, you get different... Oh, this is a, this is a situation where you're not going to get everybody thinking the same thing, are you? Some would say it was good that at least the promoter put himself out there. Mm-hmm. At least the promoter was willing to answer questions. He wasn't hiding. He wasn't doing a runner like some promoters who have kind of disappeared from the scene. Um, he made himself accountable in that way. That is a positive. Um, unfortunately you know there are some who would say that you know he went into too much detail <clears throat> on some individual cases and that was a bad idea it, it just i don't think this interview was ever going to please everybody um mm. i personally feel i, I we're going to get into them doing the comeback show in a minute I, I, you know that's too soon that we're going to get into the safeguarding kind of you know the policies the procedures that you know i, I just said how you know I described it as an easy thing for progress to do. Randy mentioned on the podcast with Will, they were looking to put stuff like that on their website. It's an easy thing to do. They haven't done it. That is a real issue. I can say as someone who sat there and listened to that podcast for four and a half hours, I feel like I understand at least whether I agree or disagree what Andy Quilden's point of view is on a lot of these these issues. I understand that where he's taking action. I understand what action he's taking, i.e. David Starr, i.e. Andy Boy Simmons. Mm. I understand that he's sending people like, you know, Michael Oku for sensitivity training. Like, I know that because I listened to that four and a half hour podcast. Mm. I know his point of view on Will Ospreay. I might not agree with his point of view on Will Ospreay, but I at least understand why he feels he can continue to use Will Ospreay. But that's because I sat there and listened to a four and a half hour podcast, as did you these things need to be 
out there, I think, in, in more di- in a more digestible form, and they need to, you know, there needs to be policies and procedures out there from 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 RevPro. And I know they did the statement early on in speaking out, but I think they do need to make a subsequent statement that includes some of the things that he talked about in this interview and that he talked about um, in his own Q and A. You know, behind the uh, the paywall and Patreon that kind of uh, caused the controversy that Jamesy got involved in that that led to this interview. I really just feel like there's a lot of simple things there that that RevPro just aren't doing and they deserve a lot of the criticism that they're getting Uh, i don't know if you have a different take on that no i completely agree it's like you say yeah fair play to him for you know putting himself out there and trying to sort of like answer things around this but it's like you say we know these things because we listen to this show but you expected and i think he maybe even have said it in the interview that you know, some more was going to come from RevPro, maybe a code of conduct for the shows or something along those lines on the website or releasing another statement on Twitter and basically, you know, the bullet points from what he said in the interview, what they were doing with this sensitivity training with Oku, but it was nothing. And mm-hmm. it's, kind of, it's kind of like banging your head against a brick wall because it's like, yeah, you did some good stuff, you know, when everything first started, like, um, coming out, you know, by, you know, you know, it can't have been easy for him to get rid of Andy Boy Simmons. Obviously, they're really good friends and, you know, and instantly stripping Star of the title and not even saying you're not going to use him in the company again. But just stuff like this, it's like we, we said, they would progress. These are sort of like things that you can put together and show people that, you, you know, perhaps you didn't have the best track record in the past and, and they weren't a promotion who was heavily named in a lot of speaking out. And, mm. but, you you could that's and you're just opening yourself up to this criticism and it just seems like and I mean we brought it up then I mean they announced that they're going to have this return show this coming weekend a, a fan free taping which rumor is it was taped a couple of weeks ago and it's featuring Will Ospreay and Mike Loku against Kyle Fletcher and Ricky Knight Jr. Aaliyah James against Bobby Tyler Kenneth Halfpenny against Brendan White and assuming from the placement of them on the poster headlined by Jamie Hayter against Giselle Shaw for the Rub for a women's title, and I meant, and you know, not trying to throw Andy Cullen on the buses, full time promoter has to make money from this, but making this announcement with no nothing other than the interview following speaking out was just bringing any criticism on himself, was it not? Mm. I feel it feels like he's just kind of gone after he's done that interview with Will, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. He's gonna, ah, I'm never gonna please those Twitter people, so fuck them. That's what it feels like. Yeah. It, it just feels like it's I'm like not gonna plow ahead and, you know, let's hope for the best sort of thing. Yeah, and you see that, you know, you, look at the, okay, yes, the, the, the Twitter bubble that ourselves and probably the vast majority of our listeners kind of inhabit. We were all disgusted when they announced this show without you know doing the minimum um and we all kind of thought it was too soon and we were all like do you have to feature will osprey right now again i the osprey story maybe we should talk about more in a minute but like i i don't agree with andy quilden on everything to do with osprey i understand his point of view no matter what though no matter where you stand is it a bright idea to come back this soon and, and feature Will Ospreay so prominently? I don't. I mean, maybe it'll sell you some more fight pay-per-views, but you are going to lose a good chunk of the people within, you know, the, the bubble who at least who are paying attention to this. But maybe, maybe he's just thought that doesn't matter. Maybe he's thought, you know, if you could, if you look on Facebook like Martin, I don't know if you're on the, the Facebook group or on the, you know, when they post up on their on their home Facebook page, the vast majority of people there are just happy Red Pro coming back. If you speak to People, you know, in the US and Canada, 
you they'll be like oh yeah there's a, a pro show going on and, and they're just not bothered you know they're not as in it as we are mm. and this feels like a play for those people it, it feels i think it's going to come back to bite them i feel like they're kind of thumb in the nose at some of the more yeah vocal but more loyal and more engaged british wrestling fans for the sake of you know we need to run a show um and they are a business i get that and they are a business that's you know been shut down for six months and they are a business that doesn't have any other revenue streams and you know andy quilden is a as the person who runs Red pro that is his job so uh, i get the temptation but yeah i feel like they've just thrown the, the baby out with the bathwater as well um and just kind of said sorry um we're never going to get good pr from this anyway let's plow ahead and uh, let's hope for the best and let's hope there's a uh, enough people out there who uh who will watch this uh no matter what yeah i don't think there's it's obviously a really tricky issue surrounding osprey but you have to show that you're doing something about it you know having him on your first show is and you know when it's a big show coming so soon after uh, the speaking out movement came about. And it just seems, I mean, I haven't got the right answer about what you do with Osprey, but you have to do something rather than just going, oh, here he is on the first show straight out of um, sort of like lockdown and speaking out. Yeah, that's it. That, I mean, that just even from a business point of view, that just seems, I don't know. I don't, maybe they're just saying that the, the Osprey buyers on, on fight are going to, you know, have an Osprey on the post that is going to be enough to, to counteract the, the negative publicity we're getting. Um, Osprey's a difficult one, though, yet there is no perfect answer. You know, Osprey is someone who, you know, based on the evidence we know, he's done wrong. And based on the evidence we know, there hasn't been a huge amount of, of action taken on on Will Osprey. Um, but it is a it's a it's a grey issue. It's a it's an issue where it's not that he's one of the very very serious speaking out cases. It is a different case um than a lot of those other ones so you know i'm not if people feel comfortable to watch this show and feel comfortable watching will osprey you know i'm not going to be shouting at anybody over that same as i'm not going to be shouting at anybody who feels deeply uncomfortable um in watching will osprey but maybe i say that and i give them a slight benefit of the doubt because I've heard Andy Cairn, I've heard Andy Quilden on this podcast, and I, I get a little bit, you know, what his thought process is with Osprey. Um, I feel like that conversation needs to happen publicly a bit more. I feel like there just needs to be, you know, some form of uh, of more action or at least some some more time um, before we, we, we come straight back to this point. Uh, yeah, it's a... Yeah, we'll be covering the, sh- the show on this show as we cover your wrestling on here, but not with absolute massive issues with, with watching the thing. Mm, that's it yeah it, it's and I, again i'm not i wouldn't be you know offended at anybody who doesn't want to listen to that he doesn't want to hear you know a show get reviewed um but it's such a tricky one isn't it because like you know we we shouldn't go into the individual case but you know Aaliyah james was somebody who had things to say during speaking out who you know there was a, a case involving her and if she wants to work this rev pro show are we should we be stopping her from working? Should should she not be working? Should does she not have the right to decide she's comfortable to work, safe to work, mm. feels comfortable at Rev Pro working, um, and wants to do this show? Um, it's it's a minefield, isn't it? Like well, I don't it's know. Also with um, Jamie Hater against uh, the Shell Show, which I'm sure will be a cracking match. And it's but if it was a company that had a history of 
of you know booking great women's matches and and booking um a lot of a lot of women on the show you you can't it kind of won't be so glaring to you but their positioning on the poster and it just sort of like screams of like look what we're doing with um, this great women's match that we've got and it is good that it's happening but it sort of seems like you know a bit of, of damage control because it's like well you know you might have an issue with osprey being on but look at this great women's match we've also got on here yeah, I mean, it is. It's just really obvious, isn't it? Like, uh, I mean, I'm not naive either. I mean, you know, these companies don't do these things for, for altruistic reasons. They don't do these things because they're nice people that do these things for, for, for business reasons, you know? Even the the most, uh, I hate to use the word, most woke wrestling company in the world is at, at, a, at a point is a business um, and is profiting over off, off that. Um but yeah, you, you probably don't want to be as obvious as this is, um, as they are being with this case. Do you think um, the fight um, buys are going to be affected heavily by it? Because, like you noted there, there's going to be a lot of Americans buying the show, and, and then people around the world, or people who aren't um, following, sort of speaking out and things as closely as we are. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think the, the buyers were going to be there anyway. <laughs> to be honest, I just don't think you know Rev Pro on a week on a weekend where there's what. WWE SummerSlam, NXT TakeOver, AW Dynamite, uh, AIW, uh, GCW. They're fighting for it there um, on this weekend. Uh, I didn't think it was going to do particularly well anyway. I think there are going to be people who... I think that's the thing. You know, If you feel strongly about this, uh, there are going to be people who vote with their wallets. There are going to be people who say, no, I'm not happy with you know paying for a Rev Pro show right now when they haven't done enough as far as making public what they're going to be doing going forward um, as far as you know, um, safeguarding wrestlers and fans. Mm. So you are going to lose that chunk. It's whether... I suppose the... It's whether, you know, if people in for a big weekend, are they going to treat this like a WrestleMania weekend? Um, it doesn't feel like one. You know, the buzz no. is there for SummerSlam. But are there going to be people who are like, oh, I'm at home anyway. This thing's on right before GCW on Sunday. I'll watch it. I don't think there'll be a huge... I think maybe you'll get a couple of them and there won't be a huge discernible difference. I think a lot of it's going to be on the quality of this show. It looks... It seems like from, you know, the little bits we've heard uh, coming out of these shows that there's... You know, obviously this isn't live um, and it seems like there's other stuff in the can as well. I think the quality of it is probably going to, you know, say whether whether people come back. Um, but I do think this is, yeah, maybe more of a play for that international audience rather than the British audience. Um, and yeah, maybe they're hoping uh, the few extra buyers they'll get from the international people for the likes of Osprey being there. And again, maybe the pe- pessimistically, the fact that they've featured you know heavily you know women's matches on this show, maybe that'll draw a certain type of fan who might not have uh, have tuned into this as well. Uh, maybe they'll make up a little bit. Yeah, I don't expect it to be a, a runaway success, but. You know, I, I didn't expect it to be a, a huge success anyway. I think it's going to be one where the numbers are low. Um, but I think if, uh, you know, the quality's there um, and fight are happy enough, even with those small numbers, that, you know, it is something that we're going to see a, a returning uh, concept probably probably going forward uh, with Pro, Rev Pro. And uh, we'll see more of these, uh, these fight style shows. Mm. Yeah, it will be interesting to see um, how well the show does. But, um Moving away from that, and um, we had the sad news last month that Mark Rocco passed away at the age of 69. Um, an innovative performer, best known around the world for his, his matches under a mask as Black Tiger. Um, a big loss, um, and I caught up with wrestling historian and also John Lister to talk the life and career of Mark Rocco. 
Right, joining me now to talk the life and career of Mark Rocco is wrestling historian and author John Lister. John, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, good to be here. And um, I mean, just before we get into Mark's career, I mean, you've written many, many books and articles on British wrestling. Uh, was Mark Rocco someone you interviewed uh, for some of these articles and books? Yes, I uh, interviewed him uh, directly for the magazine in the FSM article, which is put into the greetings, uh, the have a good week till next week book. Uh, and I'd also interviewed him Oh, about 15 years ago, during the, the Wrestling Channel days when he was promoting the first DVD release of the old ITV Wrestling. Um, so it was a fascinating guy to speak to. Um, you have to realise, I think, you know, this is no insult. I think everybody in the, the wrestling industry who sort of knew him would agree he was an amazing storyteller. He probably exaggerated more than anybody else. And it didn't matter because, you know, if you took 50% of what he said is true, um, it's still, you know, an actually an amazing story in life. Yeah, I mean, um, it certainly sounds like um, an interesting guy to, to chat to. But, um, I mean, going back to the start of his career, and um, it was, was it his dad, uh, Jim, was also a wrestler? Yeah, his dad was uh, Jumping Jim Hussey, a uh, big star in sort of the 60s on TV, particularly one of the big names up in kind of Bellevue in Manchester and big sort of northern venues. Um, and he'd actually kind of discouraged Mark from from getting into wrestling. And, and Mark had actually trained secretly, but without, without him knowing, uh, under a wrestler called Colin Joynson. Uh, and he made his debut uh, when a, another wrestler had not turned up. Um, and they were sort of completely stuck. It was too late to get a substitute. And Mark sort of put his hand up and said, look, actually, I've I've learned to wrestle from from Colin. Um, you know, I could probably do it today. Could I borrow anybody's gear? Uh, he had to borrow the, uh, the gear of another wrestling because he was sort of so young, so small. It was probably about four sizes too big. And it was, you know, trunks falling down. But, yeah, he got through it. And sort of his, his dad then said, well, if you're going to do this, you have to learn the job. You have to sort of know how to wrestle for real. So he went to the, the snake pit in Wigan. He went to uh, the sort of Tenerife from the Canary Islands, where he actually uh, would later live, uh, where they had um, a form of, of wrestling on the beach, um, which kind of is like the same kind of uh, catch wrestling you were doing up in Wigan. But obviously it's on the beach, it's a lot harder to grip the floor of your feet. So it's really, really makes balance play a, a big role. And that was sort of, you know, the basis of, of um, him getting the business where he always knew what real wrestling was like and kind of had that to kind of fall back on if he needed to and, and always have that sort of element of credibility before the, the kind of changes to the style that he brought in himself. Yeah, because his career really started taking off in the sort of like 70s, didn't it? Um, even the likes of Marty Jones were this uh, sort of new wave of British wrestling coming through. Is it is it sort of fair to say the 70s were quite a transitional period in British wrestling? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in the kind of early to mid 70s, you still had a lot of the the early 60s stars were still going. The sort of the Palos, the McManus, uh, the kind of those kind of stars. Um, and there was a real uh, kind of intentional move in sort of the mid 70s to kind of push some more younger talent uh but it had guys like chris adams were sort of given a, a very big push and of course max crabtree taking over promoter kind of built a lot of things around his brother big daddy um but definitely yeah i mean rocco and jones were kind of really setting out to kind of change the style of wrestling modernize it um, and it wasn't so much the, the kind of high flying that you had with with likes of Dynamite Kid and the, the guys in Japan, but it was more uh, a sort of an updated version of heavyweight style, a lot faster, a 
lot more action, uh, a lot more heart sort of party hitting and aggressive. Um, and kind of the, the change of style has always been where you sort of, you know, you're doing more moves, uh, kind of less breaks in between them and, and really kind of updating it and coming out almost with a, a more sort of violent and aggressive style, which didn't always go down well with, with ITV, who were very key, not keen at all or rather on uh, sort of weapons or bloods or sort of brawling outside the ring, anything like that. Was this, um, would you say they'd sort of, sort of bring in it? Obviously, British wrestling is known for their sort of grandmas on the front row. Would you say uh, this sort of style they were bringing in was uh, bringing in a, a younger audience? Yeah, I mean, definitely that was one of the things Rocker was going for. Um, and I think like uh, uh, William Regal, who obviously was a, a big fan of, of Rocker and Jones growing up, kind of said of his own style, his his role in there was to be the the one sort of wrestling match where if you had a family came along, dad sport the kids, dad doesn't really want to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could put the kind of match on that, you know, the dad might not be a massive wrestling fan, but watch it and kind of go, oh, that's that's exciting. Oh, that's kind of credible. Yeah, I, I liked that. Um, and it was kind of having a, a variety to start. So you'd always have the, the comedy match on a British wrestling show. You'd have sort of a hero villain match. You'd have the, the straight wrestling match. Um, and sort of the Morocco was trying to bring this sort of more kind of modern, aggressive style uh, and sort of, you know, make himself into a big star. Did him and uh, Marty have a, a rivalry behind the scenes as well? Yeah, they kind of um, both both recalled uh, that, you know, they had these kind of aggressive matches in the, uh, in the ring and people always said, oh, you should have seen more maybe they fought backstage. Um, and they also, they both, you know, they remember kind of, getting in sort of brawls and arguments backstage neither of them could ever remember what it was about but it was just a case where they were both so sort of determined um and sort of so forthright in sort of their opinions and their styles uh but yeah they often had a few clashes backstage which kind of gave that kind of a lo- little bit of needle to their their matches and ring you know it wasn't that they weren't cooperating it wasn't that they disliked each other but there was just sort of that kind of healthy healthy competition sort of be the best sort of push the other you know make the other sort of run out of wind during the match um and that that's kind of gave that kind of legitimate kind of credibility to it because yeah, obviously he's probably most well known uh, worldwide isn't he for his his matches in japan with uh someone who he was familiar with because he'd already had matches in the uk uh, satoru sayama i mean he debuted in japan in the early 1980s didn't he Yes, yeah, so Sayama had come over here, and that was uh, a common thing for particularly New Japan wrestlers in that era, that they would sort of go on a world tour, made, maybe go to Germany a bit to learn the sort of tournament style. They might go to Mexico or Canada to sort of learn that kind of style. Uh, and they'd also go to Britain, where they'd learn both sort of a traditional British style and also a lot about working a crowd and sort of showing more of a personality and so Armo came over here was incredibly popular most of an instant hit here um to the point that uh in 1996 uh, i went to a show at fairfield halls where they brought over uh, six mitch noku pro wrestlers to have a match and it was you know completely different to anything else on uh, the show at the time so so this sort of japanese mexican kind of hybrid absolutely amazing match um and going back to sort of the, the lobby afterwards, there were sort of a lot of older fans who were going like, oh, it was really exciting, but it wasn't as good as Sayama, you know, <laughs> to, to Sammy Lee as he was then. That's, you know, still, so this was 15 years later. They still sort of completely remembered him as the most amazing thing they'd ever seen. That very much again was sort of about the, the speed and ring, how quickly they were doing the moves um, and sort of going in and out of the holds and sort of the kicks and so on. Um, and that led to, as I say, to Rocco, 
being brought in as his his alter ego. So you had uh, Tiger Mask taken from the comic books, and then the comic book villain was was Black Mask, uh, which Mark Rocco took over and did for about seven or eight years before the role was handed over to Eddie Guerrero. Um, and he was doing sort of 50 or 60 matches a year in, in Tokyo and, and for New Japan. Uh, and then wrestling the rest of the time, he'd gone over to all-star promotions by this time. So he was always headlining there. Um, and between those two, he pretty much had a, a good schedule that worked for him, made him a, enough money for a decent living and gave him money he could sort of invest, uh, which is one of the reasons he he never really pursued uh, going to sort of stampede like Dynamite Kids, uh, where you'd sort of you'd have to go and do that full time, uh, or going to the states. Or he also said he'd have been very interested in working the the original UWF style, which was the sort of uh, breakaway shoot style promotion. It was doing a lot more legitimate on. He was really would have liked to have worked for that. Marty Jones did a few shows there. But just he was such a regular in in New Japan, it didn't make any financial sense to him, and he was always. Um, very big about you know making making the money getting what he get out of the business sort of being aware that promoters didn't always hand over a sort of a fair share so it was about making himself a star having the leverage and sort of setting up a, a comfortable schedule yeah because his uh feud with tiger Mask did a uh, quite um quite a good business didn't it for new japan yeah certainly it really kind of put them on the, the map kind of made the uh, the sort of junior heavyweight style that Simon was changing kind of up till him. There'd always been junior heavyweights in Japan, but it was really smaller guys doing the heavyweight style. Um, maybe be doing it, you know, a little faster because they were smaller, but still the same kind of style. Whereas with Tiger Mask, really brought in the kind of the, the fast pace, the high flying, the doing the things that the heavyweight guys couldn't do to sort of stand out more. And um, he also uh, faced uh, Justin Liger as well, didn't he, in a, a number of matches towards the end of the 80s? That's right, yeah, yeah. He was um, sort of kind of putting over him the, the same way that had uh, done with, with Tiger Mask. Uh, he'd also, he wrestled on a show out in Moscow, which was one of the first New Japan shows. So that was New Year's Eve 1989, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it was really still kind of uh, still working regularly in Japan up till till 1990, just a year before he died. So it was a good kind of eight eight years of continuous kind of tours over there. So that really sort of made his career. And um, obviously at the same time, he's still doing um, a lot of work in the UK. What are some of his sort of um, well-known matches from the 80s in the UK? I seem to uh, recall there was a ladder match with Dynamite Kid. Yeah, so he uh, went over to All Star in 1982, and unlike uh, everybody else, every other wrestler I've sort of interviewed who who made that move from joint to All Star, which meant giving up sort of the TV exposure, they always just said, you know, it was for one reason only. It was because Brian Dixon was offering more money. Um, with Mark Rocco, he said it was partly the money, but also because he was given a lot more freedom to do the kind of style he wanted. And a big appeal of kind of All Star at the time was doing the kind of matches and the kind of style that you weren't allowed to do on television. And that made going to the live venue was uh, a, a lot more attractive because you could see, you know, the more aggressive, exciting kind of action packed style that might not be allowed on TV. And Rocco was always um, very important to uh, Brian Dixon. He always said that, you know, Mitzi Mueller was his biggest draw uh, and probably his biggest sort of one-off star was was John Quinn for sort of talking people into the building. But Rocco was in a way his his most important acquisition because he was able to 
go to sort of venue managers who would know Rocco, recognize him off the TV um, and sort of be willing to then give All-Star a chance to to run a big venue that maybe previously had been sort of exclusive to joint promotions. Uh, so he'd have places like Fairfield Halls in Croydon, uh, the Victoria Halls in Hanley and Stoke, uh, up there sort of Liverpool, uh, the stadium and later the St George's Hall. And they were sort of, you know, the key to kind of building up a, a regular business uh, and really kind of being able to challenge joint promotions and eventually get back on TV in 1987, 1988, where they had a, another Mark Rocco, Marty Jones match. So it was sort of a feud that lasted 10 years on TV. I know he said he'd been smart with his money and things, but were, was there any interest from the likes of WWF um, in the late 80s? Because obviously they were making their expansion into Europe around that time, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, he's done a, a one-off match over in uh, in um Madison Square Garden, which I believe was with the Cobra, who was a New Japan guy called George Carno. Uh, and that was kind of uh, for the WWF junior heavyweight title, which was sort of a belt that they really licensed to be used in, in New Japan and was actually sort of the main junior heavyweight title there before they, they created the IWGP title. Um, he didn't really sort of get any approaches from uh, from WWF. I think he was uh, a lot smaller than the kind of guys they were looking for. Even though he was uh, sort of a heavy middleweight and then a, a mid heavyweight here in the UK, he would have been a lot shorter and a lot smaller than anyone. So they were sort of pushing seriously and kind of bringing in from overseas. Um, he actually then in 1989, the first time WWF came over here, uh, they at the time the home office visa rules were working on the idea that WWF was a sport. Um, and under that idea, they've sort of looked at a wrestling show as, as if it was kind of a tournament. And um, actually had a rule that if you came over as a, a sort of a foreign company doing a, a tournament here, you know, a certain number of entrants had to be British. Uh, so they had, uh, I think, three matches, including sort of a six-man tag, um, that were on the, the first uh, couple of tours that are all... Uh, dark matches before the TV broadcast began, and they were all sort of British guys against uh, sort of Americans like Tim Horner, that kind of guys were sort of the, the very low on the card guys. Um, and remember, the, the British guys were sort of really not happy with uh, the way they were treated on the show, so it's sort of a bit of an afterthought given their own sort of uh, dressing room, which, you know, wasn't up to the standard of all the big stars. And they kind of felt, you know, they, they weren't really kind of given an opp opportunity there. And I think for a lot of people, that was kind of, you know, the writing on the wall that kind of the business had changed and you were now having WWF coming over here running these sort of big arenas. Because another big name he sort of feuded with and, and was in a tag team with in, in the 80s just before we get to his retirement was uh, Kendo Nagasaki. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I spoke to, to Rocco about this, he, he remembered feeling that, you know, the idea of they were sort of the two big heels, heels at the time in All-Star uh, and they sort of teamed up and then did a split and a feud. Uh, and he was just thinking there's no way it's going to work. They're just, uh, they're, they're not going to sort of cheer either man and they'll just sort of be sat there in silence, you know, not wanting to sort of cheer anyone mm. uh, and in fact they sort of you know they they got behind Rocco and just you know wanted him to kind of take a thing out take the aggression out on uh, on Nagasaki so that led to a lot of um, very sort of heated uh, sort of action-packed matches um, and including the sort of a famous match in in Croydon where they brawled out into time the uh, the entrance way where you walked um, 
sort of the fans came in down sort of a corridor to get into the the front of the hall um and they had sort of rival fans who were sort of so excited about you know cheering on their man it ended up with uh, they managed to calm down the wrestlers and get them back but they were sort of fans brawling in the ring and so they were told by the uh, the venue management they had to kind of cut this down and, and kind of reduce the heat a bit in the future wow <laughs> yeah that's uh that's certainly the thing to see yeah obviously um Sadly, had to retire in 1991, and um, he did make some appearances accepting awards and on the Red Pro Show with uh, Justin Liger, and then he was uh, one of the judges on TNA British Root Camp. But uh, something I wanted to ask you, with quite a few of the bigger names in British wrestling passing away in the past couple of years, uh, do you think modern British wrestling does enough to remember its past and keep these names alive by inviting them to shows and having them as a sort of honorary guests and things like that? I think there's a lot more awareness of that era now, um, particularly since the, uh, the, the wrestling channel sort of 15 years ago licensed all the footage and put it up. And even though the channel's gone, a lot of that's now sort of on YouTube, not being taken down. So I think there's there's definitely kind of more of a awareness of the kind of guys who who paved the way. I think the um, the British boot camp with him as sort of, you know, the, the, the tough trainer role was... Uh, kind of helped bring his memory back and um, I think somebody pointed out the other day that it when you actually look back his his last ever sort of in-ring action that was on screen was actually working in the ring with uh, Spud as he was then now Drake Maverick so that's kind of you know quite a cool claim to fame claim to fame for him that, that was you know Rocco's last last sort of public match as it were. You know, well, he sadly passed away on the 30th of July. But what would you say his legacy is in wrestling? Obviously, we saw um, uh, a lot, not especially on Twitter, a lot of uh, wrestlers, uh, new and old, coming out to pay tribute to him. But what would you say is his legacy is in wrestling? I think really he should be, you know, remembered in the same way as as Dynamite Kid. And people remember kind of uh, the change of style that Dynamite brought uh, in the States and, and Japan. I think had Rocco sort of gone to uh, the, the States and have kind of the same opportunities as, as Dynamite Kids, um, he'd probably be much more known in the States and kind of well remembered for that. But I mean, certainly he, the kind of changes Dynamite was bringing overseas, he was kind of bringing the UK and really inspired also a lot of uh, future wrestlers like particular likes of you know Robbie Brookside that kind of generation the ones who were there at the end of the TV and kind of keeping the scene along in the 90s uh, a lot of them were sort of taking their their kind of cues from from Rocco as somebody who was kind of not uh, not content to sort of you know just do what it took to get by and, and sort of do the least to, to get by in a match but rather to you know be really trying to give people action all the time so they're sort of excited and would would come back as well. That was a another big thing um, with sort of particularly the post TV era um, joint promotions, uh, as they were then. Sort of Dale Martins um, were kind of going on a model where a lot of places it was all based around Big Daddy, and they go to a venue once or twice a year. So it was really everything was about send people home happy on that day and then sort of in six months or a year they'll think back and think yeah I had a good time yeah I'll give that another go but it wasn't the kind of show you'd bring back every week um whereas all-star 
uh, was a lot more at that time still about the old idea of running a venue weekly or fortnightly or monthly. So you had to have the sort of the action, you had to have the kind of the rivalries and the storylines. Um, and that was kind of where Rocco really sort of played his, played his role. It was always you knew you were sort of going to get your money's worth when you saw him. Is there a match uh, for fans who might not have seen much of his stuff uh, either on YouTube or maybe New Japan World that you'd uh, recommend people go and check out? Yeah, probably uh, any of the Mark, <coughs> uh, sorry, Marty Jones matches, really. Um, there's some early ones from sort of 76, 78 uh, that are kind of well worth watching. They're really, I think, the earlier the best ones because you can really sort of see comparing to the matches there, sort of how, how much it stood out and how much earlier it was even than the kind of uh, the Tiger Mask uh, stuff in Japan. This is sort of five or six years earlier. And it's just, it's kind of a, really the birth of kind of a modern style where you're bringing together, you know, the high flying, but still doing the traditional British style. You're doing kind of hard hitting stuff uh, and it's sort of flowing and, and kind of looks like it's got that kind of aggression and that sort of competitive nature to it. And um, anybody who wants to know anything sort of like a, about the, especially the world of sport era of British wrestling, certainly check out John's fantastic book, uh, Have a Good Week Till Next Week. Uh, it's a must read for anyone wanting to know more about British wrestling. Um, where else can uh, people see more of your work? Uh, if you check out my uh, blog, which is prowrestlingbooks.com, that's got uh, now over 200 reviews of, of books about wrestling. Um, it's also, there's a link there to all of my books. Uh, so there's a book about the history of ECW called Turning the Tables. There's a book called Slamphology, which uh, has a lot of my sort of earlier writing and includes uh, sort of travelogues of trips around the states in the 1990s, going everywhere from sort of the ECW arena, the Channel 5 studio, for Memphis Television, the Sportatorium, uh, and then my book, uh, Parodicy, which is uh, about my first trip to Japan at the end of 2017, kind of partly about wrestling, partly about sort of getting used to the culture. Uh, and there's also a very long sort of updated guide there to the practicalities of going around Tokyo uh, to get to a wrestling venue, sort of a bit, some language tips, some travel tips. And hopefully it won't be too long before that's something that's useful for people to make their own trips back to Japan again. Yeah, and I can definitely recommend that Pure Odyssey book. Um, you know, if you are thinking of making a trip to Japan when we when we can again, um, yeah, it's certainly um, a fantastic book, um, especially um, from a wrestling fan's point of view. Uh, John, thanks for uh, joining us this week. Really appreciate you taking the time and um, really good going um, looking back at Mark Rocco's career. And uh, thanks for having me. Thanks to John for coming on again. I can't recommend his work enough. Must be the most knowledgeable person on British wrestling. I mean, Benno, he's probably forgotten more about British wrestling than we know. Oh yeah, John, John's the man. I like he's uh, he's he's been ever since like the Power Slam days, and ever since the uh, you know seeing his road trips in there and uh, seeing his writing in Fighting Spirit magazine as well. In the in the latter years of that, he's the uh, he's the proper journalist among us, isn't he? And he's always the uh, he's the one to call if you want some uh, some detail on a uh, on a man like Mark Rocco and to get to get get to the uh, the bones of uh, of someone like that's career. Well, staying on Rocco, um, I mean, I've been back and watched um, a fair bit of his uh, certainly his New Japan stuff, but. Um, I think he was, uh, I mean, obviously retiring in 91. He was just before our time as, uh, as becoming wrestling fans, wasn't he? 
Yeah, that's it. it that's, that's he's the type of guy that I think uh, you know a James you would uh, would have been would have been more into. But like he's definitely definitely a name, isn't he? That you hear that like it, for me, I think the the biggest thing, especially you know, you know, uh, uh, as John will attest to uh, with Rocco, is it's it's the influence, isn't it? It's the you know we might be before our time as fans, but as far as you know the different wrestlers that is influence and the different people you saw come out of the world work that the likes of the Bret Hart uh, since his passing um, it's obvious the uh, the massive impact he's had on uh, on the wrestling uh, culture in general yeah be uh, sadly missed um, but moving on to some uh, some more news coming out of AEW this month and um, then releasing Jimmy Havoc B Priestley and Sadie Gibbs I mean it's it's obviously easy to see why they made this decision with everything up in the air with travel being impossible to know when the three of them will be able to appear on shows again but um, on the other hand a bit of a crappy move by a company especially for someone like Gibbs who has to look somewhere else to make a, a, a income but um, Jimmy Havoc though with everything that's happened with the accusations against him in speaking out. I mean, Benno, can you see promotions using him when shows start happening again? I won't be watching them. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd, he's retired, isn't he? That's the that's the story coming out. Uh, I've heard that rumour. Um, I don't know. I think his name is Mud right now. Mm. Uh, a, a lot of people's names are Mud, though, aren't they? And mm. he, like you said before, yeah, people are going to start to to sneak out and start start getting uh, start getting bookings again if uh, if enough time passes on. I don't know if I see it with him though. I just think, yeah, it's been it's been such a grimy story. He looked terrible on AEW. Uh, I don't think he. I mean, I don't know if you were uh, ever impressed by his uh, eye pulling shenanigans and the nonsense nonsense he did on AEW the fact that he still managed to get on TV mm. even during a pandemic is uh, I suppose it's a, a testament to the fact that it was a pandemic and he didn't have many other options uh, <laughs> but yeah he, he, I don't think he would you say would you, do you reckon he upped his stock in AEW do you think he made any new fans in AEW is that a do you reckon he made yeah, more right, maybe he made more really American fans I suppose everyone from what I was reading from what sort of like international fans are saying, they were like, yeah, he's got a good look when he comes out and then the bell rings, as Bruce Pritchard had put it, you know, it's it, they were yeah. kind of like, yeah, he's got a decent look, but then you realise he's just some skinny dude from England. Yeah, and he's just not very good. Um, and we said that going in. Uh, he was an odd signing though, wasn't he? It was just, mm. I don't know what they saw. Uh, they saw. Did they see him as like their British superstar? Um it was never happening, was it? Uh, you've got people like Darby Allen and Joey Janela who do that sort of like <laughs> uh, hardcore style a lot better as well. Yeah, he, he just, he never fit. Um, obviously, there's, you know, allegations surrounded speaking out with him. I think that's the reason he's gone. Um, I think it's a bit of a different story with Sadie Gibson B. Priestley because uh, Havoc was, you know, he's based in America, wasn't he? And they could have, if they wanted to, after sending him to what wasn't rehab, was it rehab? Um, Something like that. But then wasn't there a room he'd come back to the UK anyway? Something yeah, like that's that what. Well. Yeah, what we've kind of heard through secret squirrels and stuff. I suppose there, uh, they, 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 they could have, if they were able to have him in America in the first place, maybe they could have got him back and used him in future. But what's the point? Like, it's it's and not right. Stuff with Excalibur as well. They probably were just cutting the losses, weren't they? Probably, yeah. And you know, it's not right morally to say, you know, if it's a bigger name, more talented wrestler, they might have given more the benefit of the doubt. But let's be realistic: corporations aren't always the most moral, um, and they might have, um, or big companies, sorry, that they might have 
pros and back, but they've probably seen what we've all seen, really. What's the what's the point uh, in bringing a Jimmy Havoc back? What, what, are, what is the upside at this point? And it was probably, you know, as serious as the allegations are, and I don't want to do them down, it was probably the final straw for AW as much yeah. as anything. And you, you would assume B Priestley, um, you know, maybe might appear on these Red Pro shows. And then um, obviously when travel back to Japan's allowed, she'll be back to stardom, won't she? I think, um, you know, she won't be losing anything from this, really. I don't think so. And, you know, I've heard people speculate that that might be something to do with speaking out and something to do with Pollyanna. I don't think it is. I think it's just a case of um, AW haven't really been able to use her. Um, and they've got other women they can use in that position. Uh, I think it's a loss, though, you know, purely from a talent. I do think B Priestley is a talented wrestler. I know she's got her detractors, but I don't think she ever looked bad when she was on AWTV. Um, but, yeah, you know, she'll probably be heading off to jetting off to Japan with uh, with Osprey, won't she, at some point soon. Um, I could see her being based out there, at least for the uh, foreseeable. So, yeah, I think... You know, from a career point of view, I think this is probably just a pit stop for her, and I think she'll just uh, continue on. Sadie Gibbs is a different matter. You can tell her attitude, can't you, on uh, on social media. She's probably the one who's, you know, maybe hoping to uh, to return. Maybe when this all blows over, they'll uh, they'll take a second shot at her. Um, but yeah, yeah she looked good in her uh, indie work. Certainly had a, a lot of flashy moves, and, and someone who I feel, you know, with with some more, more work in in ring could be um, could be someone who's um, who's a good hand for them. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I, I, you know, it's it's she's someone who might well get that second shot. But I did think, look at the story actually, and I thought like when we when we covered it on Grapple, I was thinking of this as like this isn't a Brit story, but it kind of is, isn't it? Like mm. it's the, the Brits and the adjacent Brits are well, the ones. Sabian's the only one who's in pack. I mean, what, whatever happened to him? I'm assuming he's uh, decamped to Newcastle until it all sort of like blows over. He must have, and yet even if his contract rolled over, you know he's not getting the uh, the old release treatment uh, from AEW. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one as well, isn't it? Because you know we were, you know, when we did that ROH podcast I mentioned earlier, it was at the time of the WWE releases, and we were very vocal about WWE releasing people in the middle of a pandemic. This isn't great either, but it does feel a little bit different to being, you know, later on and it being contracts running out but it's still not great is it it's still mm. not especially like you say when they're you know obviously they're going to keep pack around no matter how long he has to stay in the uk you know and obviously he's, he's worth more to them sort of like from um big matches uh perspective but it's still you know a bit of a shitty move to uh release people when there's you know it, jobs are hard to come by as it is no, totally, totally. And I think the pack one, yeah, gives away the game there, doesn't it? That it's not purely we can't use, yeah. It's not purely that we're getting rid of all our, say, European adjacent or Japanese adjacent talent. It is, you know, there's a, an element of well, you know, what what can we actually do with you? Where are you on the totem pole? Mm. Uh, really, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I hope you know the, the havoc thing aside because it's a bit different, you yeah. know. But Gibbs gets uh, continues to get work at least coming out, and I think, yeah, like we said, B Priestley is probably not going to be struggling either. Um, and some other sort of news items before we get out of here. Um, your hometown promotion of TNT in Liverpool have announced they'll be doing a, a comeback with two shows on October the 30th and 31st. Uh, first night featuring Alexis Falcon against Lizzie Evo, and then the second night, um, I think, has just announced Lycos 2 against Nico Angel, and they're just uh, two of the matches announced so far. And we'll, we'll see how the government guidelines go for public events uh, by October, whether these shows um, will end up happening going forward. And obviously Alexis Falcon, one of the more vocal people in speaking out, and uh, 
Benno, um, aside from speaking out, are these shows you'd feel comfortable going to in terms of uh, COVID-19 and, um, you know, things opening up more and more? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, like I said, at the start top of the show, I've been venturing out a little bit more, going to restaurants, going to the odd bar, not with a huge amount of frequency, but definitely more than I was doing um, even two, three months ago. Uh, my bank balance is certainly uh, showing the difference. <laughs> I suppose it's not a huge, hugely difference. Uh, TNT, you know, they are a promotion who were very quick off the mark. They released David Starr right away, took the belt off David Starr. They announced various safeguarding measures. Uh, maybe the hell, maybe they're getting hauled to a little bit of a lesser standard because they are a smaller company. But to be honest, a lot of the things they've said they're going to be doing are things that some of the bigger companies should probably be doing as well. Um, I would say probably, yeah. I, I've got, I, I am booked in for the show. Um, I've got a ticket. Um, when I got the ticket, I kind of went, it was with a half of me going, okay, this is a few months away. Is this even going to happen? I'll kind of decide on the day. We're still two months away. Anything can happen in those two months. Things can get worse. Things can get better. If things are the same, I'll probably go. Um, I don't know whether I'll be stood in a corner with a, with a mask on, um, obviously with my notepad out because I'm a, I'm a British wrestling journalist <laughs> uh, at these shows, uh, but I will, you know, I, I will probably go, and as long as you know they continue to do the right things as far as um, taking care of fans and wrestlers, um, and they do the right things as far as the people they continue to book, and you know, it sounds like you know as far as making sure you know fans are, are safe at the event, they're doing that too. Um, I'll probably go. I mean, I've got to be honest, TNT is a company that runs big attendance events anyway you know you're talking sub 100 people at a lot of the shows i've been to recently for tnt at least at least in the run-up to the pandemic Mm. and it's a small venue too and it's going to be similar numbers and you know i've always been able to kind of find my own space apart from when it when they did the 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 deathmatch tournament where it got really busy Uh, let's hope they don't do anything like that Mm. uh but yeah (laughs) again as long as i can find my own corner Maybe I'll wear a mask. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what the situation is then. But right now, I'm thinking it's two months away, and I, I probably will go. I don't know if you'd. Uh, would you go if it's you? Um, I don't know. It's like you say. I think I probably would um, wear a mask for the duration of it. But I have to wear a mask for. Uh, You've got your work anyway, too, yeah. So um, yeah. apart from what I'm eating and drinking, obviously, so I've kind of got used to it now. But yeah, it's it's one of those you'd kind of be a bit trepidatious until you got there, and then you and then when the matches started and a bit of an atmosphere kicked in, you'd kind of get more into it, wouldn't you? So um, yeah, and you know, if people if I, if I sound like I'm being you know too bold all this stuff it's because you know like you i'm a key worker and i've been thrown in the deep end for these last six months yeah. anyway we don't even get to wear masks in my work mate we're just all wow. on top of each other in the office <laughs> um and it's gone on for six months and i'm someone who thinks they've already had the uh, mm. the thing as uh, as joe lanza will call it so that's maybe it. that's why i'm you know a bit more uh comfortable with this type of type of event uh than maybe some of our listeners especially the people in maybe uh other areas where the culture's a bit different or the uh the caseload is a bit different yeah um and just to finally, something that amused me, I saw a video um, earlier this month or a couple of weeks ago now to see uh, Hayata of uh, Pro Wrestling Noah throw the IPW UK Junior Heavyweight Championship in the bin on a, on a recent Noah show. I thought that was uh, quite amusing. I'd forgotten Noah had even had any involvement with IPW UK and he kind of just imitated that was the only place to put that championship. So uh, quite amusing little video there I saw. 
Yep, you summed it up. That's where it belongs to the bin. Like, <laughs> I think I'd forgotten IPW UK existed at all, to be honest, until that uh, until that happened. Good to see he's got a he's got a bit of a familiarity with uh, with maybe what's going on this end. Maybe they the the news have been slow to reach the pan that they either entirely shut down. Um, but yeah. You know, IPW UK is, you know, not even to have a go at like the the most recent owners or even the owners before that. It's got such a such a bad name going back to the original um, owner, um, and it is something that we just don't need IPW UK, do we, Martin? If you want to run a promotion in the in the same venues, feel free, bring back Fight Nation. I don't care. Um, yeah, glad it's gone. Uh, that's probably the uh, the only place for that uh, for that belt to go. Yeah, and um, of course, all all roads lead to forum com and Benno, um, what's been happening over at Grapple Towers uh, the past couple of weeks? Yeah, um, we launched a kind of a supplementary show with uh, with JP doing uh, different roundtables. Um, I'm bringing in varying guests for that. Uh, he's going to have a, an AEW roundtable coming up uh, this week. I won't spoil the guest list because I think it's uh, it's all still in motion, but some uh, some some people that are uh, the post wrestling fans might be uh, might be familiar with uh, coming up on that this weekend. Uh, other than that, yeah, we've been doing our regular spotlights. We did one on Monday where we uh, did a big old preview of this uh, SummerSlam weekend. We're all very excited for, uh, <laughs> and uh, this coming Monday we'll be recording again and uh, giving a review of a uh, SummerSlam weekend as well um joe's on a bit of a hiatus at the moment hopefully we'll have an update on that on the uh, on the next spotlight coming up but in the meantime uh, we've had uh, stephanie chase on filling in uh grapple gareth has uh, been doing uh, plenty of filling in as well and doing uh, doing great as well so yeah check us out uh, both for the round table and uh, for the regular spotlight episodes as well and yeah hopefully we'll get uh, you over there again soon martin yeah, great stuff and that. And those roundtables have been fantastic. So if you've not had a chance to check them out, uh, be sure to head over there. And um, we'll be back in a, a fortnight's time. I think that lands on the 3rd of September. And uh, obviously we'll be talking the latest to do with uh, British and European wrestling. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you then.